Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Yankee Stadium, and unfortunately it's the final on the Guardian season. It's game five of the ALDS. It's the Yankees five, the Cleveland Guardians one. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played, but this is going to be a slightly different episode than every other game recap, you know, up until this point, because it's the end. It's the end of the ride right now, and uh, it hurts. It sucks. I really, really hate losing to the Yankees, but, uh, you know, it's baseball. And uh, at the end of the day, at the end of this whole thing, only one city out of 30 is going to be able to throw a parade. And uh, we are going to be watching that parade right along with those fans in L.A. with their 100 and whatever win Dodgers and the 100 and plus win Atlanta Braves and New York Mets. And yeah, only one team gets to celebrate in the end. And unfortunately, this is where we get off the ride. So Let's get into it. Let's discuss it. Let's discuss some of the decisions that went into this. uh, And let's discuss where we go from here. So I know you got a lot of feelings right now, right? I know it's hurting right now. But uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about things. And you know know me. I I couldn't sleep on this. Uh, I didn't want to wait until the morning. Frankly, I want to wake up tomorrow and not think about this. So uh, we're doing this once again, and we've been doing it all series. It's once again Cleveland Baseball Nightly. All right, so let's try to talk about this a little bit rationally. Let's try to talk about this without all the doom and gloom of a season ending. Uh, there's still plenty of interesting Decisions that were made and things to talk about and moments in this game that could have gone either way, frankly. I know it felt like a boom the minute Stanton hits this three-run home run in the first inning that this game is over. But there, there were moments where the tying run was at the plate. I mean, at the end of the game, the tying run was standing on the on deck circle. So I, it's not like this game was completely over. Uh, the minute Stanton hit that home run, yeah, it was a huge mountain to climb, and we never really got off the ground, but there were definitely moments in this game worth discussing. So, the big moment, the big storyline of this game is that even with the rain delay, uh, Francona stuck with what he said, and he started Aaron Savali in this game. Now, what what? Everybody on Guardians Twitter predicted was going to happen, happened. Uh, You know, they go with the rain delay instead of postponing the game late into the night on Monday. It allows the Yankees to have a rested bullpen, and it allows them to have a rested starter in Nestor Cortez, who comes out and throws five innings of really solid baseball. Three hits, one earned run, one walk, only two strikeouts on 61 pitches, though he's only hard hit two times. So, yeah, I'd say a pretty competent start from Nestor Cortez. And then they go to the strength of their bullpen. La Loge, I know I haven't been saying his name right all series. I heard the way they were saying it on the TV broadcast today, and I was like, nope, I haven't been getting that name right. Uh, Logia, Holmes, and then Wandy Peralta because he matched up better with the lefties in the ninth inning. Uh, that's the way their bullpen goes. So, yeah, they got to use those arms, those arms that probably wouldn't have been available to them Monday night. 
I would say maybe Logia is the only guy that would have been available to them on Monday night. Cortez wasn't. Holmes wasn't. Peralta had thrown like 30-some pitches the day before. He wasn't available. So, yeah, it did change things for the Yankees. It did. That rain delay 100% worked to the Yankees' advantage. And it then the mood in Yankee Stadium felt like that from the first pitch. It felt like that. It felt like it, this was going to be the Yankees' advantage because of that rain delay. But Boone decides to go with Cortez on three days rest. Look, everybody threw out the stats on Guardians Twitter. Uh, frankly, teams don't fare well when using a starter on three days rest in the playoffs. We've seen it before with Corey Kluber, right? Where he got burned down in the playoffs. We've seen other starters try to push themselves and go on three days rest in the playoffs. And it, it usually backfires. It's usually a disaster. So instead, he goes with Aaron Savali, who, look, I know some of you might have some opinions based on this season, but remember, there was a point in 2021 where Savali was our best pitcher. I mean, he was a borderline all-star. I think he gets hurt in early July that year, but he had been doing very well in 2021. He struggled incredibly bad at the start of 2022, but comes back from injury and actually pitches pretty well in the second half. I mean, he's been battling injuries all season. But I got to say, in the second half of the season, he's been decent. In fact, if you look at his uh, game logs, he won his last three starts of the season uh, and had a really respectable starts against. Now, frankly, it was against Texas. It was against Kansas City twice. So not stiff competition, not like facing the Yankees. But he had at least been pitching decent in the final few starts of the season. Uh, you know, he was gone for a month with injury there between the end of August and the end of September, but came back and finished all right. So he's a he's a competent starting pitcher. He's one of our guys that we relied on. He's one of those guys from that 2016 draft class. Savali is not just some you know, some random starter, some guy we pulled off a heat pile somewhere, some some useless arm that we threw out there to start game five. He's been one of our guys. He's been one of the guys that makes the starting rotation so tough. Now, what makes Aaron Savali so tough is his location. He can locate the ball. He can hit his corners. He can hit his locations. Well, that's exactly what he doesn't do in the first inning here. He's all over the place. So, I don't know. I don't know what his bullpen session looked like. I would love someone to ask Francona or Carl Willis or Aaron Savali himself what his bullpen, what is what his warm-up looked like before this game. What was he what did he look like on Monday night during the rain delay? What was his attitude? What was his mood? Because it seemed like the moment was too big for him. I mean, right, that's that's what we're gonna take away from this. Uh, he was a little bit all over the place with his cutter. Couldn't really locate the cutter. Threw the two-seamer for a strike a couple of times. Threw a couple of curveballs for the strike. Really couldn't locate that cutter. That's what he was struggling with in the first inning. Uh, in the very first matchup against uh, Glaber Torres, uh, throws him uh, three cutters and a sinker, misses with all four pitches, ends up walking him on four straight pitches to start the game. Oof. He gets Aaron Judge. He battles back with some curveballs. Uh, gets Aaron Judge to uh, foul a few things off and then gets him with a high curveball. 
uh, after he'd just thrown one in the dirt. After he'd just thrown one in the dirt, he's probably thinking he's getting a fastball here. He's going back to a sinker or a cutter, and instead he throws him that curveball one more time, and he strikes him out. But it's a long at-bat. It's a seven-pitch at-bat. Then Anthony Rizzo comes up. It's actually a long at-bat against Anthony Rizzo. He goes to a seven-pitch at-bat. I mean, at one point, he's got him 2-2 in this at-bat. Uh, throws him a cutter outside that he fouls off. Throws him a curveball on the plate that he fouls off. So he's battling and then throws him a cutter inside and hits him. So he's battling here, but he still can't locate the cutter. Four cutters in this at-bat. Not one of them is in the strike zone. And that brings up Giancarlo Stanton. And he's clearly trying to work him away. Throws him a curveball away in the dirt. Throws him another cutter down and away. Finally finds the strike zone with a cutter, but he leaves it up and away to Giancarlo Stanton. And with that short porch in right field, that's a terrible mistake. Hits at 107.5 miles per hour, 20-degree launch angle, 379 out to the seats in right field. You know, I looked up one of those Twitter accounts called Would It Dong that tells you would a ball be a home run in, you know, all 30 major league ballparks. And it said something like it would only be a home run in three of 30 major league ballparks. So am I saying that Yankee Stadium is kind of ridiculous for its short porch and right field and kind of a joke when it comes to hitting home runs? Yes, I am. I absolutely am. If this is in Cleveland, maybe it's over Gonzalez's head and goes for a double off the wall. Maybe he catches it. Maybe he's got room to catch it, but it wouldn't be a home run. And it wouldn't be a home run in 27 ballparks in Major League Baseball. I don't know what the other ballparks it would be a home run in. I don't know other ones that have as short of right field porch as Yankee Stadium does. But it's an absolute joke how easy it is. And you can see they've developed their swing for that. Judge and Stanton both hit home runs to right field in this one. They've developed their swing to hit to that short porch in right field. So it's absolutely ridiculous. But he left the cutter up. It's the same spot that he hit one off Shane Bieber, and it's a three-run home run like that. This is why FIP is so important, right? It's literally all in the pitcher's control. FIP is fielding independent pitching, which means strikeouts, walks, home runs, hit by pitch. Things that are have nothing to do with your fielders, have nothing to do with your defensive alignment, have nothing to do with whether your left fielder and your shortstop collide going for a ball like the Yankees did. This all has to do with your pitching. And he failed by walking the leadoff hitter. He failed by hitting Rizzo. And he failed by leaving a cutter up for Giancarlo Stanton here to hit a home run with. So yeah, he deserved to get yanked from this game. Gives up another hit to Josh Donaldson, an infield single uh, to Ahmed Rosario. And he's out of the game. That's it. That's the end of the day for Aaron Savali. The bullpen comes in and actually fights to keep you in this game. I I think we could say, if I were to tell you before the game, that the bullpen was going to have to go eight and two-thirds innings and they'd only give up two runs, you'd probably sign up for that, not knowing that Aaron Savali would give up a three-run home run to kick things off. But I got to say, that's that's pretty good work from the bullpen there. Eight and two-thirds innings of two-run baseball from four guys in your bullpen. And it's, frankly, the four arms I told you we're going to pitch in this game. Henches, Stefan, Karinczak, and Klasse, the big guns for Terry Francona in the bullpen. I told you he was going to get the ball in their hands, and he did. It's just Savali absolutely blows this game in the first inning, 
and uh, the offense can't recover. The offense can't recover. The Yankees would add other runs. Uh, Judge would hit a uh, a solo home run in the second inning uh, off of Hench's. Uh, he would get a curveball. He'd get a hanging curveball and hit it 113.2 miles per hour, 394 out to the seats in right field. So, yeah, a little bit deeper than uh, Stanton's. That probably would have been a home run in most ballparks. And then uh, they finally get to... Uh, they finally get to Trevor Steffen, and they get a run off him. He gives you two and a third inning, so he put in the work. Four strikeouts. Actually, Steffen doesn't give up a hit, uh, but he does give up a run in the fifth inning. Uh, how do they get it? They get it with a leadoff walk to Glaber Torres, another leadoff walk to him. After the leadoff walk, Glaber Torres would steal second. He would strike out Judge, but they'd bring Karinchek in. And he'd give up a line drive single up the middle to Anthony Rizzo. And that would bring in Glaber Torres a score. So that's how the Yankees put their five runs across. Yes, uh, Stefan, he doesn't give up a hit, but he does give up the run. The run is credited to him. So, uh, yeah, that's how they score their five. Now, here's the thing. Here's the other storyline of this game. The Guardians had their chances. And it's happened before in this series. It's absolutely happened before. On uh, Sunday, the Guardians go one for five with runners in scoring position. That Saturday game that they win 6-5, they did a little better. Game one, when they lose to the Yankees, remember they went 0 for eight with runners in scoring position. They do a little better as the series goes on. Uh, That Friday night game, they went two for 11 with runners in scoring position, which we said was a huge improvement. But uh, this game here, they end up going 0 for 6. And the opportunities were there. Like I said, the tying run came up to the plate multiple times. Cortez was competent, but he, he, I mean, he wasn't dominant. He wasn't striking people out. He was just inducing really weak contact. And the big moment, I mean, the third inning has to be the big moment. The bottom of the lineup is trying to set up a rally for you. Austin Hedges actually singles to lead off the inning. Actually, let's go back further than that. Let's go to the first inning because Quan singles to lead off the game. Remember, we start. We're up. We're the away team. We started up at the plate. Quan singled to kick off the game, and then they. I. I would love to know if Ahmed Rosario was doing this himself or if Francona called this from the dugout because. Either way, Ahmed Rosario has not tried to lay down a bunt single the entire season. What is he doing trying to bunt here? What in the world is he trying to do bunting here? He tries to lay down a bunt. I don't know, move Quan over? Are they trying to get a run early here? Is that the plan? Uh, Instead, he pops it out and pops out to the catcher, and it's one out, down. What in the world? Was he doing that on his own? Or did Francona call that from the dugout? Either way, a terrible decision. Something you haven't done all season you're going to try to do in game five? Now, believe me, Ahmed Rosario has hit into plenty of double plays with Quan leading off the game with a single. Ahmed Rosario has turned around and hit plenty of double plays, especially in the first inning, and it's really pissed us off all season, hasn't it? But still, I don't want to see him bunting here. I don't want to see him bunting. Let's put the pressure on these Yankees. If anything, I want to see Quan stealing. I looked up the uh, the stats for the entire postseason, 
The Guardians only stole four bases. Jimenez, Quan, Rosario, and Straw each had one apiece. Nobody was caught. Didn't it feel like we just weren't being aggressive on the base paths here? There'll be another moment later in this game where we're not aggressive on the base paths. I, I don't. If you're going to want to move that runner up, steal. Go. Challenge their catcher, who's got a decent arm, but still. That's our, been our MO all season, as to been to steal, to run. And we don't do it in this series. So the bump was a terrible decision. Then in the third inning, we get another leadoff single from Austin Hedges after Straw pops out. Quan with another single. My God, this guy. Steven Quan, just unbelievable. Two more hits in this game. Then Ahmed Rosario draws a walk. All right, we got the bases loaded for Jose Ramirez. And it's an interesting at-bat, but he gets an inside pitch, and he smokes it down the left field line, but pulls it and hooks it foul. This thing absolutely would have been a grand slam. Not only that, it would have been a game-tying grand slam. We were down four at this point. He was the tying run up to the plate. But this pitch was a little bit too far inside, and he ends up pulling it foul. The next pitch is another one up and in, and this time he flies out to center field. It does bring across our only run in the game, right? A sack fly to center field, scores, hedges. But, I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? This is where you end up over six with runners in scoring position. If that ball actually would have been out, how different this day would be. How different this conversation would be. If Ramirez brought us back into the game, do you know that would have done for this dugout, for this lineup, for, for everybody in Cleveland, for everybody Cleveland fan listening around the world? Do you have any idea what Jose Ramirez hitting a grand slam in that moment would have done? But he didn't. But he didn't. We just couldn't get that hit all game. It just wasn't there to be found. We lead off the sixth inning with back-to-back singles. This is the one where, again, I'm talking about the hustle here. Ramirez hits a nice line drive after Ahmed Rosario singles to kick off the inning uh, with an infield single. Jose Ramirez with a nice single in the right field. Ahmed Rosario looked like he just got a bad jump on it, right? He just They showed the view from right field, so you kind of see the ball exiting the infield, and it looks like uh, Ahmed Rosario has barely left first base, and this ball is already out to judge in right field. So I understand why he held at second base. But all season, we've been going first to third. That's been our thing. We put pressure on these teams by running the bases ultra aggressively. And it's another situation, right? We don't steal in the first inning. Instead, we try some weird bunt play that we've never done all season. And then here we can't go first to third. Right? First to third with nobody out. That's a huge pressure on the Yankees. Uh, instead, Oscar Gonzalez would ground out. Naylor would smoke a line drive up the middle, but the Yankees had him played perfectly. Uh, you know, Costas and uh, whatever his name is on the TV broadcast. Actually, I'll give him credit on this call. The Yankees scouting department had it played perfectly. They are. The analytics team for the Yankees is all high-fiving each other because, I mean, literally they could have not have put Oswaldo Cabrera in a better spot to catch this line drive from Josh Naylor. It had a 600 expected batting average, and it, it again, would have changed things if Naylor comes through with a big hit because the Yankees crowd was all over him. I can't believe how much rocking the baby became a story at the end of this postseason, uh, at the end of this series between the Yankees and the Guardians. Do, do people not realize that Naylor, I'm pretty sure, 
I'm pretty sure he's been doing that home run celebration all season. All season. I'm I'm pretty sure. Go back and check the highlights. I know he's had the the swearing tirades and the headbutts, but I'm pretty sure for like the last few months he's been rocking the baby to sleep after many home runs. So I, it was not a personal shot at the Yankees at New Yorkers. Even though they took it that way, they were chanting "Who's your daddy?" every time he got out. Uh, they literally, when they won the game, their second baseman did rock the baby uh, to send Cleveland home. So clearly, they took it personally. My God, national media took it personally. Everybody took it personally. Look, Naylor's a crazy guy. He does crazy things. He gets super emotional. Uh, I, I don't, I can't believe that became such a thing. Uh, but I guess it is a pretty bold home run celebration, even if you have been doing it all season. Um, but yeah, could you imagine if that line drive gets through there? It changes that narrative. It changes the mood in the stadium. It could have had such an effect. But once again, the Guardians cannot come up with a hit with runners in scoring position. And then in the ninth inning, they actually get two people on. Maley, uh, Arias with a single. Uh, Jimenez strikes out again. Jimenez had just had a terrible playoffs. I loved Jimenez all season, but the guy, he had five hits. He five for 28 in the postseason, a 179 batting average in the postseason, a 421 OPS with 14 strikeouts. 14 strikeouts for Andres Jimenez, and boy, did they know how to pitch Andres Jimenez. They were uh, going over to the illustrator here. Let's flip it around and check a look at the batters here just to see where they're pitching Andres Jimenez. And uh, I guess they were kind of pitching them all over the place. Uh, they were challenging. I thought it'd be a lot of high fastballs here, but it was actually a lot of stuff down and away. I guess that's because the lefty Cortez, uh, you know, he faced a lot, a couple of lefties, so they were probably pitching them down and away. But man, they were attacking them with hard stuff. Four-seamers, sinkers, cutters, one changeup, one off-speed pitch the entire day for Andres Jimenez. They clearly knew what they were doing against him in this game uh, because he ends up going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. So uh, Jimenez did not have a great playoff. Um, But you know what? He had a fantastic season, and he's clearly, uh, you know, one of the future stars of this team. I mean, he's already a star on this team. He was an all-star this year, right? But some of these guys figure it out for the regular season, and then they got to figure it out for the postseason too. Like it's, it's a whole nother animal figuring it out for the postseason. And I, one of the best examples I can think of for this is, uh, what's his name? The, the ace star Hall of Fame pitcher for the Dodgers, Kershaw, right? Kershaw, I mean, the narrative for him for years was he, the most amazing regular season pitcher maybe in Dodgers history gets to the playoffs, absolutely falls apart. So it's a thing. Like, you can figure out the regular season, but then you have to also figure out the playoffs. So Jimenez, that's his challenge now. That's his challenge. He figured out the regular season. Now we need Jimenez to figure out the playoffs. And it's a small sample size. You have a really short amount of time to do it, to figure it out. It's tough. Look at what happened to Aaron Judge this series. I mean, he didn't really figure it out. Yeah, he's had like two solo home runs, the entire playoffs so far, like that's he hasn't really contributed much offensively, and so yeah, he's a guy that's trying to figure it out right now. So 
it goes around, with especially with star players, because there's a lot of pressure on them to deliver. But I still believe in Jimenez. But anyways, he strikes out here in the ninth inning. Luke Maley actually pulls a single through the left side. It brings up Miles Straw. I thought maybe, maybe this is going to be a moment. Maybe Miles Straw, who this whole thing started in Yankee Stadium with him climbing the outfield fence, yelling at fans, right? Maybe he would get a redemptive moment here and get a hit with runners in scoring position and bring up the tying run to the plate, who was Stephen Kwan in the on-deck circle. But no, he hits into a he hits into a force out. He grounds out to shortstop. They flip it to second, and they get Maley going from first to second. So there's just there's just it just wasn't that moment. We just couldn't get a hit with runners in scoring position. We couldn't do the thing that got us here. We couldn't do the thing that got us here, which was get hits with runners in scoring position, which was to run the bases aggressively, which was to put rallies together, turn the lineup over, bottom of the top. We had a chance here in the ninth inning to go bottom to the top of the lineup with a rally, and it just doesn't come together. And the Yankees did what they do. They pitched well, and they hit home runs. So I guess they did. You know, we talked after game three how that was sort of a manifesto on rallies versus home runs and that rallies could beat home runs. We proved it was possible in game three. I guess if you want to say that the larger experiment was the entire series, the ALDS between the Yankees and the Guardians, then the Yankees proved that home runs really are more important in the postseason. Rallies are so much harder to put together in the postseason. You're facing the best of the best pitching. And they're not going to just, if you get a guy on base, they're not just going to leave a guy out there to hang. They're going to go to another pitcher that matches up better, that comes in with different stuff. They're going to blow through their bullpen, whereas in the regular season, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll leave a guy out there a little longer and you'll be able to rally off them before they finally go get him. In the postseason, every every inch, every decision, every every inch you give up matters. And, you know, th- that's why rallies are so much harder to put together in the postseason. Nobody's thinking about tomorrow. They're just thinking about this moment. What do I have to do to win this moment? And that's what makes a rally so much harder to put together. So, yeah, I, I guess the, the old adage holds true. I mean... They've done studies and looked at the numbers, and teams that hit home runs oftentimes win playoff series. The team that hits more home runs wins the playoff series. So the Guardians are going to have to find some power. They're going to. They're going to have to find some home runs. Whether it's, you know, Naylor continuing to develop as a home run hitter, whether it's Jimenez finding more pop in his bat, whether it's uh, Oscar Gonzalez kind of, and Gabriel Arias for, uh, for that matter too, finding the power that they had at AAA and develop, keeping it going at the major league level because it felt like their power disappeared a little bit at the major league level, right? Uh, Oscar Gonzalez was a monster home run hitter at, in the minor leagues, and he hit a few in the major leagues, but it, it wasn't he wasn't hitting them at the same rate by any means. Or maybe a guy like George Valera comes up from AAA, and that's where the power comes from. Or maybe they actually, this offseason... Sign a free agent that's a power hitter. Maybe they do. Maybe they got that new minority owner. Maybe they do sign a power hitter. I don't know. But they're going to have to find some power somewhere because they got to keep competing against the Yankees and the Houston Astros of the world and the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago White Sox. Their power is not going anywhere. 
So they are, they're going to have to hit a home run eventually. And I know, I know they hit a few this series, right? I know it's been there. Uh, I know Oscar Gonzalez had a walk-off home run in the 15th inning. I know. But, I mean, the Yankees hit so many more home runs. And it's why they were able to win the series. So I hate to say it. I love the Guardian style of baseball. I do. Believe me, I don't want that to end. I'm just saying, can we find a little bit more power to mix in with some of that? Right? We're get, we're going to have to if we're going to compete at this stage. All right. Let's wrap up this game. Let's talk a little more big picture. MVP on the day. I, we give it out every game. I think I'm going to go with Stephen Kwan on this one. He's the only one with a multi-hit game. He gets a hit to lead off the game. He was out there. He was hustling. He made some nice catches, running catches in left field. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe someone out of the bullpen you could give it to, but at that point we're down and it's just, I mean, there's not many people to go with here. It really wasn't our day, but so we'll give MVP on the day to Steven Kwan, but let's move on. Let's talk a little bit more big picture. Uh, I know all of you out there are going to crush Francona. I know you all want to crush Francona for not using Shane Bieber for starting Aaron Savali. For the challenge that that he never made on what should have been an Andres Jimenez infield single, right? The play where he slides into first base. For some reason, the replay coordinator told him to challenge two plays on Sunday that had no chance of being overturned. First look on replay, everybody at home knew that the right call was made on the field, and yet we challenged twice and waste both our challenges. Then we see one where it is clear as day that the runner is safe, that Jimenez is safe, and he doesn't challenge what is happening in that clubhouse what's happening in that dugout that they're not challenging this one and then they challenged all those terrible calls terrible challenges the day before the game before so i know a lot of you want to crush francona right now uh uh, phil from louisville emailed in and basically did before the game even started he emailed in just absolutely upset that uh, they didn't match Shane Bieber with Nestor Cortez. He said, uh, Cleveland baseball is thinking like a small market, feeling lucky to be having success team yet again. Nestor Cortez and Shane Bieber both pitched on Friday. Both are 27 years old. Both have a similar injury history. Yet Francona won't allow Bieber to pitch on three days rest, but the Yankees have greenlit Cortez pitching today. Uh, we both know that Bieber gives us a much better chance to start. Uh, much better chance to win. Uh, what else did Phil say here? He said, I've been following MLB for 47 years, and when the playoffs roll around, everyone has to give more, and comfort zones have to be expanded. Francona's comfort zone has to expand, and he thinks Francona painted himself in a corner on Monday with what he said about Bieber just focusing on the uh, the first game of the ALCS. And with the rain out, he never goes back on this decision. Look, I, I don't know. I... Frankly, Phil, the numbers say that it really doesn't work to pitch on three days rest. It doesn't. So I'm not going to crush Francona. I understand the frustration that your best pitcher did not have the ball in his hand when the game was on the line. But I'm really not going to crush Francona for this decision. I, I truly believe Aaron Savali is a good pitcher. And it shouldn't have gone down like this. It should have, I don't know what was going on in Savali's head that it went down like this. But I don't know if Bieber pitching on three days rest is still the answer compared to Savali. Maybe you just go straight bullpen game. 
I don't know, but we've seen it in the past in our playoff history with Francona. When he pitches these starters on three days of rest, it never goes well. Bringing a starter back on short rest to pitch out of the bullpen usually doesn't go well. I don't know why, but I'm thinking about Charlie Nagy in the 97 World Series, right? We brought Nagy in in, the, in extra innings, and it didn't go well for us, did it? We lost the World Series. We lost Game 7 with Nagy on the mound. So, yeah, I I don't know, Phil. I just, I can't, I can't crush him for this decision. I wouldn't have started Bieber either. I wouldn't have. It's unfortunate that it works out this way. It's unfortunate that the rain delay allows them to start Cortez that they have no qualms about pitching Cortez, and that it works for them. If if Jose Ramirez hits that grand slam, they're not talking about uh, how great Cortez is. They're talking about why did we pitch him on three days rest? So, uh, yeah, I I mean, one foul ball is the difference between that conversation and New York right now. Now, I know you can't go back and change those things. So Cortez did it. He bucked the odds, and he pitched well on three days rest, on rest. (sighs) big picture here. This team is incredibly talented. They are, I I know you've heard it a million times, they're the youngest team in baseball. The point is that they're young and they're going to be around for a while and that they have room to be even better. (sighs) This matchup with the Yankees was always going to be tough. I mean, the Yankees have been one of the best teams in baseball all season. The Guardians have gotten hot at the end of the season, but I I, no means in the middle of the season did we think our Guardians were one of the best teams in baseball. But hey, we hung on to be one of the final five teams left in the playoffs. And whether it's New York or whether it's Houston, there were two juggernauts staring us down in this playoffs that we had to face at some point. And we gave them hell, right? We gave them hell. We beat them in New York in game two. We had enough, We had one of the most amazing playoff games in franchise history in game three of this ALDS. They will talk about game three of this ALDS for a long, long time. Even though we don't win this series, that game is going to go down in franchise history. But it sucks. It sucks to lose. But the future is still very, very bright for this team. I mean, the fact... We don't know what's going to happen with Ahmed Rosario. We don't. We know Jose Ramirez is going to be here for a while, and he shows no signs of slowing down. But we got Quan and Oscar Gonzalez, and Gabriel Arias, and Andres Jimenez, and more guys coming on the way. Frankly, Ahmed Rosario and Josh Naylor are the weird tweeners to me where they're not really part of this young nucleus coming up, but they're not really old veterans either. So I don't know what Naylor and Ahmed Rosario are going to give you over the next few years. I, Frankly, I don't know, or Miles Straw for that matter. I don't know what the role is even going to be on this team next year. He went with Josh Naylor at DH for like this entire series even when lefties were out there, because frankly, he didn't really have a right-handed bat on the bench to go to. I mean, Benson and Brennan are both lefties. And, you know, Owen Miller of pinch hits for Austin Hedges at one point in this game. Gabriel Arias is already in the starting lineup, so that was one of your righties off the bench. 
he didn't really have a righty to go to, but Naylor should not have been in there against left-handed pitching. He shouldn't have. It's a terrible matchup for them. He's really bad against left-handed pitching. So either he figures something out against left-handed pitching, or you find somebody to platoon with this guy. Maybe it's Arias. Maybe Gabriel Arias and Naylor end up in a first-base platoon to kick off next season. But yeah, they've got to find another right-handed bat to go along with Naylor. Because uh, it's just that that was not working. Andres Jimenez, despite having a terrible season, actually has good splits against left-handed pitching. So I understand. I don't want to platoon him. But yeah, Naylor, I would like to find a platoon for him. So this young team, ah, man, it's, it's going to grow. It is going to be so much fun for the next few years watching baseball in Cleveland, watching this team grow. The pitching... Not only is this pitching going to be here for a few more seasons, right? Quantrill and McKenzie and, and Bieber, we'll see. We'll, he's still going to be here for a few more seasons. Uh, we'll see what happens with Savali and Plesak. I mean, do they, just because they've been in the rotation for a long time, stay in the rotation? Or there's so many young arms coming. There is such a farm system coming. You do not. You can't even believe the talent that is coming and the pitching that Cleveland will continue to churn out. So, what I want to leave you with, my final thought on the final game of this 2022 season, is that, man, this team was fun. Man, they played hard for us. Man, they entertained us. And is the future bright? Man, is the future bright? So, morning people, you've had a heck of a season. You've stuck with me. You've listened to me rant. You've listened to me celebrate. You've listened to me become a dad. You've listened to so many things with me this season. Uh, It's been an incredible season. I'm not going anywhere. We have end-of-the-season wrap-up episodes to do. We've got off-season news episodes to do. I've got free agency and all sorts of episodes to do before this thing is over. Uh... We'll see what happens with the rest of these playoffs. The Phillies uh, beat the Padres in game one of the NLCS. So, I mean, we're heading towards a World Series very quickly here. Uh, The Yankees in Houston will kick it off. Uh, I guess if you're listening to this in the morning, they're kicking it off tonight. Uh, But, yeah, uh, we're down to four teams left in the playoffs. So, the 2022 season is going to be over very quickly. We'll have a World Series champion. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about as this team develops and changes a little bit. Every team changes a little bit between years, right? Between 95 and 96, this team changed. Between 2016 and 2017, this team changed a little bit. And between 2022 and the 2023 season, this team will change a little bit. Maybe a catcher, maybe a starting pitcher, maybe in the bullpen. This team will change a little bit. So we'll be here. We'll be here to talk. Just, I hope this season has just made you love baseball as much as you can hear it from me that I love the game. It's, I love it. I love that it's such a pastime. It's such the soundtrack to summer, right? It's there at the end of the workday. It's there on the weekends. It's there when you're cutting the grass. It's there when you're walking the dog. It's there when you're cooking dinner, when you're grilling out. Right? Baseball is there. It's the soundtrack to summer. And at this time of year, right, the pressure ramps up. The intensity is insane. These moments of October baseball are beautiful. But 
they all come to a beautiful end. And unfortunately, this is where the season comes to a beautiful end. So I thank you, morning people. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. For the new morning people that have joined us here at the end of the season, uh, thanks for coming on. You know, I you're welcome. You're always welcome on this ride to join with us, to talk baseball with us. Uh, I really, really hope you use the email. I really do. I hope you email in and share your thoughts. If you just need to get your thoughts out at the end of the season, email clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I can talk about it on the air or I can not talk about it on the air if you want me to. If you just need to vent a little bit, I'm here to listen. So I know all of you listening are really, really dedicated baseball fans and especially Cleveland Guardians fans. That's why you listen to this podcast. That's why you support this team. So I want you to know that I appreciate you. We're all in this together. It's been one heck of a ride. And uh, let's wrap this thing up. Let's send it home and uh, we'll reconvene as soon as there's some new stuff to talk about, some new news to talk about, maybe to do some end-of-the-season wrap-up episodes. But thank you again for listening all season and for really sinking in and listening through these playoffs. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Again, the final, Game 5 of the ALDS. What a ride. It's unfortunately the Yankees 5, the Guardians 1, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts, on, again, on the season, on the playoffs. Just if you need to vent, I'm here. We'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to want to go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air. We'll respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly.